you're listening to the Down East Mike Podcast, the quirky little podcast from Maine. And now, your host, Down East Mike. Dee, deedle, deedle. Good morning, everybody. This is Down East Mike. You're listening to the Down East Mike Podcast. I hope you're having a good morning so far. I know I am. I kind of rolled out of bed to face the day and realized this year is coming to a grind and halt. What a wonderful thing. Let's put 2022 in the bag and toss it out with the trash and let's look forward to 2023. Here's the better days ahead, right? This is the Down East Mike podcast officially listed as comedy. We're sorry if you're laughing at us or with us. It's not supposed to be comedy. It's supposed to be serious, a serious look at things in the past and things today and how they haven't changed much at all. But our motto is that some of this is whimsy, some of it's true, the interpretation of it all is entirely up to you. We have an exciting podcast, episode number 71, for today, Saturday, December 31st, 2022. In today's episode, we have ads and movies from 1976. You're going to relive those with me, whether you want to or not. Walt Whitman grows weak this day in 1891. Yawning your jaw out of place, 1891, a little story there about the man that yawned. There was a party in the post office cellar, Bering, Maine, 1891, great story. We're going to look at Maine's misnamed owl. A little story about Maine's owl that is got the wrong name. Let's go right to the international world headlines. If you're just getting up and you want to know what's going on in the world, they're yammering about Donald Trump's tax returns. I don't even like looking at my own. They're awful. Why would you want to look at his? Authorities track the Idaho student killing suspect as he drove cross-country to Pennsylvania. He was a real piece of work, if you've looked into that story any. He was a criminal justice major working on his Ph.D., studying serial killers, positioning himself, I guess. Barbara Walters did pass away at the age of 93. North Korea's firing missiles. How is that even considered news? Uh, Standard and Poor 500 closes out a dismal year with worst loss since 2008. We know that. Andrew Tate's arrest inspires misinformation. Andrew Tate's that thug over there in Romania having the, having the uh, Twitter spat. Uh, let's see. Mega Million, $685 million jackpot numbers have been drawn. Storms bring flooding. And landslides across California. Again, not really new. That storm goes on all the time. And let's see, anything else? Uh, mainland China reports one, uh, just one COVID death for the day yesterday. And looking at the uh, local main headlines, let's see what we have there. Uh, let's see, uh, what is a triple demic? How can you avoid it? Uh, four fires in York County this week alone, that time of year where wood stove fires seem to happen a lot. Skowhegan police arrest five and seize guns, heroin, cocaine, and fentanyl. Brewer man is accused of assaulting a clerk at the Circle K. 
Eddington Mann is arrested following the third standoff with police in two years. And let's see, we have any others? Maine raises minimum wage to $13.80. Mandates payouts for accrued days. Wow. Uh, Feds rule that the vanishing right whale must remain on endangered list. Suspect found dead following domestic incident in York. And Smithfield man arrested in Farmington on drug and other charges. Those are the local headlines. Certainly, I think that's enough of that, too. It's nothing there really, uh, really uplifted. But let's look at our word of the day. This is from Specimens of Early English, Part 2, Morris and Skeet. You remember Mr. Morris and Mr. Skeet, don't you? It was published in 1872, covering words from 1298 to 1393, which is interesting as if the words disappeared Obviously, they didn't, uh, because the word of the day today is parable, P-A-R-A-B-L-E, used as a noun, usually a short, fictitious story that illustrates a moral attitude or religious principle. Uh, Also, something that such as a news story or series of real events likened to a parable in providing an instructive example or lesson. Parable comes from the Latin word parabola, from Greek parabola meaning comparison. The word parabola may look familiar if you remember your geometry. It refers to a curve shaped like the path of something that is thrown forward and high in the air and falls back to the ground. So from our our dictionary, our book from uh, 1398, and he said, To what things shouldn't we liken the kingdom of God, or to what parable shouldn't we comparison it? I like the spelling of those words, the way they did that. Like comparison, C-O-M-P-A-R-I-S-O-U-N-E. That was our word of the day, parable. I kind of like that word. The news from 1976 on this day, the Coast Guard may have to sink the broken bow of a tanker off Falmouth, Mass. The Coast Guard may turn its guns on the bow of the Argo Merchant, which has broken clear of the wrecked tanker and become a potential threat to shipping. The Coast Guard's first observational flight after two days of bad weather found the bow was drifting loose on Thursday. This is off of Falmouth, Mass. The Coast Guardsmen had opened hatches in the bow last week in an attempt to sink it. It turned over. It shows signs of possible buoyancy, Coast Guard spokesman Dick Sexton said. They'll have to put a hole in it. They'll probably shoot at it, I'm anticipating. You can tell they're real eager to start firing their guns at this ship. He said no decision had been made yet. About 25 feet of the bow stem, the part running from the point of the vessel down to the front of the keel, was above water, about 500 yards from the original wreck, 27 miles southeast of Nantucket Island. If it's drifting, it becomes a menace, and something has to be done about it. The bow is not so much of a hazard right now. The Coast Guard imposed a protective zone around the wrecked tanker on Wednesday that bars any vessel sailing closer than a thousand yards to the wreck without permission. Hmm. 
Tanker ran aground December 15th and broke apart a week later. It spilled its cargo of 76 million gallons of heavy industrial oil, creating the worst spill ever in U.S. waters. We didn't know that, did we? U.S. Transportation Secretary William Coleman scheduled a flight over the wreck in a 130-mile-long oil slick today, this day, 1976. Where do you suppose that oil is right now? It must have gone somewhere. I bet they didn't put booms around it. Let's look at some ads from this day, 1976. A box of 50 King Edward cigars, appropriately marked It's a Boy or It's a Girl, will be given to the proud father of Miss or Master 1977 to help him celebrate the blessed event. For a complete selection of smokers' needs, be sure to visit Victor News, 890 Lisbon Street in Lewiston. So you could buy a box of cigars and hand them out to all your friends. That's quite an assumption that you'd have 50 people you could hand a cigar out to, but I guess in 1977 you could. All right, on this day in in 1976, if you were going to wander out to the Lewiston Cinema, number one or number two, uh, we had show-ins at one, seven, and nine of Clint Eastwood in The Enforcer. Clint Eastwood is Dirty Harry. The biggest thing in the picture is his handgun. It was rated R. Clint Eastwood has not changed. I look at that picture, he looks the same today. Also, a little bit of a stretch here. It says, the most exciting original motion picture event of all time, King Kong, starring Jeff Bridges, the dude, Charles Grodin, and and introducing Jessica Lange. And this was at 11, 1, 9.20. That was at Northwood Plaza. They had a bargain matinee every day, $1.50 until 2 p.m., late show, Friday and Saturday. I would probably see that one at one f- for the dollar fifty show at two, and then if I wanted to see it again, I'd see it in the late show so I could sleep through it. King Kong, most exciting original motion picture of all time. Also playing at the cinema, Silver Streak with Gene Wilder and Richard Pryor, and I think that was before Richard got into that fire scene. Uh, so kind of coincidentally, uh, Barbara Walters passing, and we had already put together a piece of this, uh, looking at an ABC News special from this day, 1976, a farewell visit with President and Mrs. Ford, Barbara Walters, conducts warm personal conversation with Mr. and Mrs. Ford discussing their two and a half years in the White House, the Nixon pardon, and Mr. Ford's feelings on losing the presidency. Mrs. Walters taken on a tour of the White House, seen many rooms that are usually off-limits to the public, including the president's den. And if you didn't want to watch the ABC News special with Barbara Walters, you could watch, perhaps, The Six Million Dollar Man, Death Probe Part 1, when a giant mechanical creature designed to survive on the planet Venus accidentally lands in Wyoming, Steve Austin attempts to stop it before it can destroy a small town in its path. Guest stars Nehemiah Persoff and Beverly Garland. I've got to go watch that now. And the ABC Sunday Night Movie is W.W. and the Dixie Dance Kings, 
Burt Reynolds stars as an easygoing con artist who loves country music, robbing gas stations, and a singer called Dixie. Three loves that keep him in the kind of trouble he enjoys. Oh my goodness. Art Connie, Connie Van Dyke, Jerry Reed, and Ned Beatty are co-starred in a comedy. I remember Ned Beatty calling into the call center one night, way back in the 1990s, ordering a computer, and they put him on speakerphone because everybody wanted to hear what he sounded like. That was cruel. How about some letters to Hello Eloise? When the rubber gloves I wear for washing dishes get a hole or wear with age, I don't throw them away. With scissors, I cut off the tops of the gloves and use these to open difficult jars and bottles. Place the rubber side on the bottle top and turn it. It always works. How about, dear Eloise, to shorten a dress, put on another dress with the right length. Over it, put on the dress you want to shorten. Pin them together with safety pins all around at the thighs. Remove both dresses and you've the length to compare with. I've done this many times with great success. A grateful reader. I'll have to try that. A few years ago, I bought a set of rather expensive kitchen knives with handles made of chonel? Cronite, I guess it was. Cronite, which resembles hard plastic. The handles are originally a dark brown color, but after putting them in my dishwasher for some time, they have turned rather whitish and dull looking. Is there any way these can be restored? Barbara Anson wrote this letter. There sure is, Barbara. I had the same thing happen to my knives. And may I add right here that I really believe in buying good knives to work with because I think it pays off many times over and it just broke my heart when those handles looked as if they were ruined. Really, they weren't, though. I complained to a company representative, and here's how he brought mine back to the original beautiful color. Take a soap-filled scouring pad or fine steel wool, but do not dip it in water. Scour with the grain on the handle of the knife using quite a bit of pressure, in other words, real good and hard. This removes all the film and hard water deposits that have built up from washing the knives. And film will build up, you know. All the representative did then was pour some vegetable oil on a facial tissue and rub it hard on the handles. The pretty finish came back to them quick as a flash, making them look new again. You might like to try this method on your cutlery set, honey bunch. It sure worked on mine. Boy, that was stupid. Okay, uh, December 31st, 1903, Camp of American Pearl Fishermen. And it shows it's a, a drawing of some dudes standing outside their tents. It looks like a Civil War picture. And they've got the wood stove outside there. Uh, an American industry about which comparatively little is known is pearl fishing. From La Crosse, Wisconsin to New Orleans, the Mississippi and tributary strains conceal many a valuable freshwater pearl hidden away in clams, and the quest for these pearls has given many a good income. One of the most profitable sections is along the Black and White Rivers in Arkansas, from the former of which no less than $2 million worth of pearls have been taken. Buyers from New York, Chicago, 
and other great cities haunt the pearl fishing grounds and pick up many gems at a small price from the native fishermen, many of the pearls thus acquired being sent to Europe and resold at a great profit. The illustration shows a camp of pearl fishermen on the bank of the Mississippi, the two men standing behind the stove being busily engaged in comparing notes regarding the haul they have made during the day. Pearl fishing, isn't that something? Hey, we found another story here in the same paper from about a house that follows the sun. A, an architect from Paris, Eugene Petit, Petit, is responsible for the house shown in the accompanying illustration. The unique feature of this domicile is that it revolves on a central pivot in such a way that by the use of mechanical contraption on the principle of the turntable, it will follow the sun. Two men can easily operate the mechanism. So ingenious is Mr. Petit that he has contrived to introduce water, gas, and electricity into this movable dwelling. The house has been built for the benefit of invalids who wish to take the sun cure and is declared to be a pronounced success. So you have two guys that move the house around uh, during the day so it will follow the sun. Wouldn't it be easier for the people just to move around outside and follow the sun? Well, it's a great idea. Okay, on this day in 1891, Walt Whitman is growing weaker, so says his physician. And we know that uh, Walt Whitman, the poet, uh, author of Leaves of Grass, he, on his last birthday dinner in December of 1891, he caught pneumonia, and then he passed away in 1892. He'd, he'd been sick with a stroke. Uh, charges of drunkenness and immorality are made against Judge Aiken of Sioux Falls, South Dakota. It is before Judge Aiken that numerous divorce suits in the state are heard. Fears are entertained that the King of Sweden may not recover from the attack of the grip with which he is afflicted. He is incapacitated for the performance of the state duties, and the Crown Prince is acting as regent. Uh, Ireland reports a terrific gale. The Atlantic is rolling mountains high, especially at the South Islands of Erin. A number of houses and considerable other property has been destroyed by the storm. J.E. Phelan, the shoe manufacturer of Monroe, Mass., has just buried his two little sons, victims of La Grippe. Thanksgiving week, he buried the baby of his family, which also died from La Grippe. So La Grippe was going around the world at this time, and pneumonia, grippe and pneumonia. Revival meeting is from Peru, Maine. Revival meetings have been held recently in Peru by Reverend Gammon and Royce, during which time five young men have become converted. doesn't say what they were converted to. From Rockland, besides the discomfort of the storm, traveling in Rockland was rendered more hazardous by darkness Wednesday night. An accident of some nature disabled the electric light system, while gas refuses to burn in other parts of the city. From Westport, Maine, Frank Jewett of Westport was taken to the Augusta Insane Asylum this week. He became violently insane. His insanity followed sickness with the grip. So we have the grip making people insane and killing them as well. Mrs. Jewett of Reedfield is suffering from pneumonia as a sequel to the grip. Oh, the grip was everywhere. 
Mabel Kelly had to leave school. She was teaching in West Mount Vernon, Vernon by reason of severe lung trouble. Mary Williams from Reedfield's going to fill in for her, though, don't, so don't worry. Uh, widow Abigail Packard of Kent's Hill died from congestion of the brain Tuesday last. The district school at Kent's Hill is not in session this week because so many of the scholars are sick and the school at the corner is very thinly attended for the same cause. And then also Mrs. W.A. Wright has been severely ill from influenza for the last week. And here's our story about a Brooklyn man yawned his jaw out of joint the other night and it took the doctors half an hour to put it back in place. That sounds painful. Isn't that TMJ, the jaw syndrome? I, 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 I can feel it right now in my jaw getting out of joint. All right, this day in uh, 1891, story came out of Callis, Maine, but the town was actually bearing Maine. News has reached here that the celebration of Christmas week in the little town of Bering ended in what may be a murder. A number of the rowdies about town met in the cellar of the post office for an all-night party. At 9.30 o'clock, the clerk went to the cellar door and told them that it was time to lock up. The reply was that they were not through yet. Not wishing to remain any longer, he locked the doors and went home, leaving them in the cellar to party. Among the number were young men from the provinces by the name of Moorside and a native of the town, Nick Lisherness, between whom there was a standing trouble. At 2 a.m. a dispute arose, and Lisherness stabbed Moorside in two places, inflicting what is feared by the doctors to be a fatal wound. One of the partiers fainted at the sight of the stabbing. No arrests have been made. Well, it sounds like they couldn't figure out who did what. Okay, I'll belabor you with one of our feature stories here. Our Insane is the title of it. Annual Review of the Work of the Augusta Hospital. 673 Unfortunates in the Wards. Intemperance, as usual, plays the lion's part among causes. From Augusta, Maine, the annual report of the officers of the Insane Hospital were presented to the governor and council today. Uh, see, the patients themselves are generally perfectly well satisfied with the administration of the several departments. Useful modern discoveries and medical agencies in medicine and many of the improvements in surgery are ready for use, and good attention is paid to those humanitarian appliances found necessary to be used for the safety and security of those afflicted with violent insanity. So it's a story about the insane asylums, their annual report. Uh, the population of Maine 50 years ago, so this is 1891, 50 years prior, was 298,000. And at that time, there were 65 patients in the insane hospital. Either insanity is on the increase or the benefits of hospital life for the insane are better appreciated. For the year ending November 30th, there were 47 more patients in the hospital than at the same time the previous year, and 93 more than two years prior to that. Superintendent Sanborn's report is more than usually comprehensive and interesting. 
They go on to some numbers here. The patients have been supported in the following manner. 53 by their own money, 82 entirely by the state, and 538 have received state aid of $1.50 per week, towns and individuals paying the balance. There's a new 42-inch tubular iron smokestack has been located to furnish flu for the old and new boilers, and they're going to commence heating the institution by their own power plant next month. So they get the numbers here. Uh, there were in the hospital on November 30th in 1890, 626 patients. Admitted since then, 245. The number under treatment, 871. Recovered were 63. Much improved were 24. Im just barely improved were another 24. Unimproved were 18. And then died were 70. So they were the really unimproved ones. And that, and the remaining in there, 673. And then they list the reasons for being following were the assigned causes of insanity of patients admitted. Apoplexy, just two. Abuse of husband, one. Business troubles, three. Brain fever, one. Childbirth, five. Critical period, one. No explanation there. Uh, domestic trouble, four. Domestic afflictions, six. Disappointed aff affections, one. Epilepsy was 11. Grief with two. Homesickness, one. So you're homesick, but you're admitted to the insane asylum. Hereditary, four. Oh, my family could be, improve on that. Injury to head, four. Illness and old age, one. Ill health, 13. Intemperance were 15. So that's like the largest number so far. La grip, seven. Loss of property, two. I'd like to fill out that form. I, I'd have reasons. Uh, lead poison, one. Eh, sexual nature, one. We won't discuss that. Uh, miscarriage, one. Moms, one. Menopause, one. They had that in 1891. Nervous prostation, one. Here we go. Overwork. 13. I bet nobody would be admitted for that today. Overheat, 1. Overstudy, just 1. Paralysis, 1. I wonder if they carried cards around so when they sat in the day room, they would identify what they were in for. How about this? Religious excitement, 7. That's a lot. Sunstroke, 4. Now, you know that's a lie. It didn't happen in Maine. No one ever had sunstroke here. Self-abuse, 3. Whew. Spinal fever, one. Senility, four. And then here we go, the big number. Why they're in the Augusta Insane Hospital. Unknown, 108 counts. Worryment was one. And then it says where they're from, like 12 were from Augusta. Bangor, six. Biddeford, or Bangor, nine. Biddeford, six. Gardner, one. Lewiston, 15. Auburn, three. Portland, 18. Even then, Portland was leading the way. Rockland, five. Togus, 10. Waterville, one. Well, that was our, that was our deep dive story. All right, so we're going to play some little clips here, and I need you to guess what this critter is.
sounds like a horse, doesn't it? Listen to that. Does it sound like a tree frog? Yeah. So that was, that was a screech owl, the eastern screech owl, the genus Megascops. They're amongst the smallest owls found in North America, and their big voices often make them seem larger than life and have given them a role in numerous folk stories and superstitions. Screech owls get their names from one of their distinctive calls, a high-pitched and warbling wail or trill. The screech of the screech owl is only one vocalization that the bird can make, and it's usually used generally when defending the nest or young. Uh, according to the Cornell Lab of Ornithology, Screech owls of both sexes will sing to one another to main contact with mates and family members and to denote territory. Uh, what else? It's approximately 25 species of New World owls known for their shrill calls. Screech owls possess a facial disc and ear tufts and they're colored in a concealing bark pattern. They're rather small owls. 8 to 12 inches long, up to like a 20-inch wingspan, and many show considerable geographic variation, but northern species tend to be larger but less heavily patterned than the southern ones. They eat mostly small mammals, birds, and insects. I'm glad owls aren't so big that they ate people. That's a good thing, isn't it? Populations of several screech owls are stable, and most are not threatened with extinction. Uh, some of the most common screech owls include the eastern or common screech owl, which is widespread across eastern North America. And there's also a white-throated screech owl, which lives up in the mountains, about 9,800 feet high up in Venezuela. Um, what else do we have on that? Um, widespread fairly, they live in woodlands, farm groves, and shade trees. Generally favors dip, uh, mixed woods may be absent from some areas because of lack of dead snags with suitable nesting holes. It's considered a robin-sized night bird common over much of the east, including city parks and shady suburbs, where many human residents are unaware they have an owl for a neighbor. The owl spends the day roosting in holes or in dense cover, becoming active at dusk. Despite the name, screech owls do not screech. The voice of this species features whinnies and soft trills, as we've heard. Isn't that fun? Forages at, du at dusk and at night hunt mostly by watching from a perch then swooping down to take prey from the ground or from foliage. And it also catches flying insects in the air. Can locate prey by sound as well as by sight. A screech owl. Its nest is about 10 to 30 feet above the ground, but can be 5 to 80 feet up. wonder what happens if they found one that was 81 feet up. All right, let's look at the weather forecast, and I'm going to kick you guys all out the door so we can get started on this almost new year. For today, 30% uh, chance of showers after 5 p.m., otherwise mostly cloudy, patchy fog before 1 today. Um, 
we should see some sun with a high near 46, and this is December 31st. South wind around 5 miles per hour. There'll be a local uh, precipitation amounts less than a tenth of an inch. For Saturday night, New Year's Eve, uh, showers, areas of fog at a low around 40. Just a light south wind, 5 miles per hour in the evening. Uh, do have a 90% chance of precipitation, about a quarter of an inch possible. For New Year's Day, rain is likely mainly before 9, and then otherwise mostly cloudy with a high near 46. If we look out at the week ahead for Monday, sunny and 41. Tuesday is 46, and on Wednesday, 52. So if you're a snow enthusiast, uh, not a lot of good stuff on the horizon there for you, but it's winter in Maine. Things can change on a dime. And until next time, I'm going to hurriedly rush out the door so you can get about your business. This is Down East Mike wishing you and your loved ones a day that is full of grace, love, and kindness. We'll see you.